From the world to your ears, welcome to Yakin with Yassian, a podcast about music and its business. Featuring your host, Dan Yassian. Hi, everybody. Dan Yassian here once again to intrude on you. Well, maybe not. Not with this guy, John Delmonique. And John Delmonique and I have been friends forever. We met when we were in our early 20s, and we have remained friends for all this time. We were very young then, and we're very old now. So, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, John. I, I, you know, But the fact of the matter is, is that both of us had aspirations to be in the entertainment business one way or the other. John, with his desire to be in broadcasting, and myself with a desire to be in music. So both those avenues provided for us a symbiotic relationship. We started in college together, actually. We met in a speech course in our very, very youthful ages in those early 20s. Not 1920, in our early 20s, okay? (laughs) Let's not get it wrong. So John and I were in a speech class together under the tutelage of one Dr. Thomas Dougal, who fashioned himself to be rather a Shakespearean actor. And John and I, not knowing one another, were in the back of the classroom. His desk was here, mine was here, and Dr. Dougal came and sat down in between us with a what looked like a very hot cup of coffee. And he instructed the entire class from this back row where John and I were to give a speech, an introductory speech about who we are, where we've been, what we're doing, what are we doing in the class, so on and so forth. And so, John Delmonique, I want you to take it from here and tell us what happened while we didn't know each other, but in this classroom, in this environment, with Dougal sitting in between us, what happened when he asked the first person to come up and give a speech? Well, I, I decided to get it over with, as most kids usually do when they say, oh, I've got to give a speech, and I taught speech classes for years after we graduated. But getting back to what happened was, I said, well, I might as well get it over with, and I turned around, and when I did, I, my hand went to the left, and I, <laughs> I hit that cup of coffee square, and I took it down, and it went right into his lap. That's that's and, exactly right. <laughs> and and he just he just yelled out, "Good God, man!" <laughs> I thought it was such a Shakespearean you know delivery. Yeah. It was, and then he got up, and there's I'm sorry to say, and maybe this is not appropriate to say, but there was steam coming from the man's crotch. <laughs> okay, that's all I could see. That's true. And then you said. I'm done. I fail, I flunked this class. I didn't even get a chance to talk. I said, this is the heck of a way to start a relationship with this guy who we all admired. Right. Because he did play, you know, he did do the voice for a television series back then. Right. Do you remember the name? Um, no, I don't. I, th- I do. I thought I did. Be prepared for shock. That's right. Shock yeah. theater. Shock theater. People yeah. would watch that and... And they superimposed his face on a skeleton. Right. And then he would do the voice, which had a kind of a gravelly sound to it. And it was it was it was scary because, of course, he was supposed to be. Right. And um, not and, to digress, but you know, he was also on uh, radio back in the old days. He did 
uh, some of the Lone Ranger. We all took him because of the fact that he had this professional experience. And, of course, I had a tremendous interest in that because I wanted to be in broadcasting, and I just I wanted to pick his brain as to how he got into it and what he had to do to stay in it and what's he doing in a class teaching. Yeah. And, and I guess that happens to everybody. I saw that happen in my own career. Wow. Yeah. You, know, you start out with nothing, and then you go to something, and then eventually you teach it to somebody else. And then, eventually, though... We both graduated from that school, mm-hmm. and you had, as much as I was, very had been very persevering about what you wanted to do with broadcast, and I with music, of course. As a matter of fact, we both got aboard a plane and went over, we both went to New York City mm-hmm. on a hunt to see if we could find people to talk to that might help us with our little budding careers. You with radio... I and I followed you. We went to uh, NBC Radio. What happened when we got there? Do you well, recall? Well, first, I think the first person we saw was Ed McMahon. Right, but where did we see him? Through a window. <laughs> Through a window. Right. We, he was in another <laughs> studio, and he was doing—I don't know—just discussing what they were going to do, I guess. And I just said, "Oh my God, look, Dan, that's Ed." <laughs> and and you go, "Ed who? Ed McMahon." And, you know, oh, yeah, that's right, Johnny Carson. Where, where's Carson? Well, he wasn't there, but right. Ed McMahon was. And then there was a program at one time called What's My Line? Right. And there was a woman on it, and she was Arlene Dahl. Mm-hmm. And she was famous, you know, because of, uh, I think she did some movies, too. Right. But she was on, saw on this television show called What's My Line? And we saw her, too. Right. And this was all within a matter of 15 minutes, you know, because we were in the studios, I think of WOR, but I could be wrong on that, which was an NBC affiliate. Anyway, I think you're right, by the way. I think uh, you're right. Yeah. And, 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 she, and I said, that's Arlene Dahl. And we saw her through the window <laughs> again. Yeah. But we never got close to her, never got her autograph, never talked to her. But we could at least say we saw yeah. Ed McMahon and uh, Arlene. It was, it was a great experience, I have to say. It's one of those things that's very inspiring for us who want to do something with our what we think is going to be our livelihood. Yeah, but what's interesting is is what, I'm still trying to figure out why we started out at the top. <laughs> why would we want to go to New York first? Well, that's I mean, yeah. yeah, but we when you want to go to the top, you want to go to the top. Well, whatever, we did, you know? you know. I mean, and these people actually took time to talk to us. Yeah, they which did. was amazing because you took your demo. Of, of records, and I think you went to DECA. Yeah. I seem to remember hearing this story. Now, correct yeah, You me want if I'm my wrong. story? You want my story? You well, want to know what happened? Yeah, what actually happened rather than what I thought happened? Go ahead. <laughs> well, what I thought happened was my brother and I, Mark, who was part of the group at that time, right. playing bass and me with the sax, took our so called demo in to play for this man at DECA Records, and he went from one song to the next very rapidly he never let them play through 10 seconds 10 seconds and after all was done with all those 12 cuts which were devoting less than 10 seconds to each cut he doesn't know who we are but he says why do you guys bring this into me all the time and my brother mark pipes up and he says you know aren't you the same record label that refused the beatles (laughs) and 
The guy says, get out of here. That was that visit. That was your decade experience. That was a decade experience, okay. yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, well, it's just like me going into WCBS. Right. And the guy actually, they had at that time an engineer that was running the equipment. And then the afternoon guy was on the air at that time. And all he did was basically talk in between records and gave the weather and gave all that stuff. But he never touched any of the equipment. <laughs> He was just, and that was all probably because of the union, oh, and because right. they had a union thing. So anyway, I'm standing, I'm, I'm, I'm with the program director. He actually saw me. But this was unheard of because they're busy people, and I didn't make an appointment. I just knocked on the door and, and went in, and I said, "Well, I'm John Delmonico from Detroit, and I'd like to see if uh, you know Irwin would see me in order to play my tape and just give me some advice on." what I should do, because they call them air checks in right, those days. Right. Well, we, I was playing radio in Detroit. I don't know. I think it was a WHFI or something like that. Could have been in Pontiac or I was at PON. But the bottom line was I had this audition tape. And so I brought it with me, and I said, you know, could you listen to this and tell me you know, what I need to do in order to get on to New York level? <laughs> And the guy must, he, I don't know, he must not have had something to do, or his guest didn't show up or something, but right. he had time to visit with me. Right. And he just, he put it on a tape, and he says, are you running your own equipment? That was the first question he oh, asked Oh, boy, me. here we and, go. And I said, yeah, we don't have an engineer. And he says, it sounds like it. Oh, my gosh. And I said, what do you mean? He says, listen to yourself. You're so distracted. I don't believe with the word you're saying. You're saying good morning, and do you really mean good morning? Are you talking to me, or are you talking to the wall? I was busy running the records. I was busy preparing the commercials, and I was busy running what they called the audio console. We called it the board. Right. And when you're doing all of that, you're distracted. Of course. So when you're talking, you sound like you're distracted. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I never thought about that at the age of 21. I just thought I was doing my job, of you course. know. Of course, right. And proud of the fact that I could do those multitasking. Right. Well, he could tell in my voice. He says, you don't. He says, there's no sincerity here. He says, you, you might think there is, but the... And I just went away just so deflated. Right. It was just like, oh, are you serious? I have no future in this business. Well, he was but, not totally wrong. No, but you came back, though. No, well, like you. I, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, that's all I wanted to do. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to work in a factory, and I didn't want to, you know, do what my dad did. He, even though he was a, you know, good tool and die maker, I, that's not where I wanted to spend my time. Right. Anyway, so. But, but then you, as we move along, or as you moved along in your own career. You you found radio gigs. You were at WHFI. Mm -hmm. You were at WPON. But you do end over at uh, WJR Radio yes. uh, in the Golden Tower of the Fisher Building. That's where we were. Twenty. We were like twenty first floor, I think. They're not there that high anymore, but they're still in the Fisher Building. Right. They've moved offices down to I think the sixth floor. But anyway, uh, and they've also come down on the ratings at the same time. Oh boy. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, that's when JP was there and Jimmy Lance and the right. Paul Winters and the people, the, the Jay Roberts. And it was it was just a wonderful place to be. I was so fortunate because it was in a span of about three years that I was at, you know, WHFI, WPON, and then... So after uh, college... After college. That's three years later. Yeah, three years later. I, finally, I mean, that's a remarkable achievement considering 
you know, that it's pretty much the top of the industry well, within we were, the Detroit yeah. area, right? We were in the top five. Detroit was considered the top five in the country. Wow. In the well, country. I mean, it was, it was Chicago, there was L.A., and there was Philadelphia. And, but the bottom line was we, we showed up number five. That's based on the number of people that lived in the city at that time. Right. Sense that everybody's left town, but you know most of the, they're all coming back, which is good. Right. But the bottom line was, got into WJR, which was just like a total shock, because I had given them my audition tape in August of 1971, and they didn't call me till May of '72. What it, happened? Well, why would they? How? They they just needed an announcer, and JP was listening to all these different tapes that they had, and they came across mine, and he happened to like it. Oh, that's. Pretty cool. And that was very cool. And 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 I got this call out of the blue and I'm you know, I gotta remember now, this was a time in my life where I was teaching school at Southfield High School and at the same time playing radio on the weekends and they're calling me to see if I'm interested in a full time job. Before you continue on, let's talk about the fact that both you and I early on were school teachers. Oh, that's true. Not a lot of people know that. Uh, why they should, I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but at the same time, we both decided that it might be a good idea to go into teaching as a what? Backup. Backup. Yeah. Backup. Fall back. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you were not a good school teacher, because no. as I recall, a lot of a lot of kids, especially in broadcasting who came out of your being a teacher at Southfield High School and in radio and speech over there. They recall your name very well, and they say, oh, yeah, I had Mr. Delmonique, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. But And I at Redford High School, but uh, teaching there for four years. You taught at Southfield for how long? Four years. Four years. So and we then, were both four years. Yeah, four years. So it's amazing the parallel. That's true. I hadn't really thought about that. But then you're now, let's go back to WJR. You're at WJR. Yeah. And this is a very interesting moment. At least it was for me. Because, you know, I had obviously, as we're good friends, had followed your career. And I was listening to you on WJR on one particular evening. Right. And you were introducing a young, vibrant singer by the name of Petula Clark. She had a lot of hits back in the late 60s, early 70s. And one of those hits, as I recall, was The Other Man's Grass is Greener. Yep. And on the air, uh, you were introducing her song. Live. And <laughs> <laughs> It was live. And what did you say? Uh, something like, you know, it's uh, 76 degrees and here's Petula Clark with her latest. The Other Man's Ass is Always Greener. And I could not believe that came out of my mouth, and I couldn't take it back. It's like, you know, the tube and the toothpaste and all that stuff. Right. Can't replace it. And holy moly, I, all of a sudden, Jim Quello was in the studio. Right. Now, Jim Quello is not a name that everybody knows. He was the manager of the station, He was he? the manager, and he was also a member of the Federal Communications Commission. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he was, and he says, Did you say what I thought you just said? And I said, uh... uh Mr. Quello, I, I, yeah, I did. I says, I don't know how that happened. And he says, well, don't let it happen again. But I, you had called me yeah. during that broadcast, and you asked me, do you know what I just said? And I said, did you say the other man's ass is greener? I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, I couldn't either. 
And, and, and I had no retort. You know, I mean, it was, I don't know if they were taping at that time. I don't have a copy of it, but um, right. yeah, I'm glad they don't. <laughs> I mean, well. Just as well. Well, that last three years over there, you had uh, been gone from WJR then. Well, yeah, uh, the, the fellow there, Bill James, decided he was the general manager. He was he decided, John, you're not going to be another J.P. McCarthy, so um, we're going to take another direction. Mm. I thought, nobody could be another J.P. McCarthy. I said, but, you know, I can certainly try. And he says, we don't need another J.P. McCarthy. We just need you to be an announcer and... Of course, I had bigger aspirations because I figured, well, you know, most of the people there had spent more than five years. If you were at one radio station more than five years, that's somewhat of an accomplishment in itself. <laughs> so I had three years there. So yeah. anyway, I was gone, out of work for maybe four months. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then what but, happened? Well, I, I had a friend at Cy Martin's over at WWJ, and he needed an announcer as a summer replacement. Audio 67. Finally, they they could see that I was able to handle all these different shows because they had a conglomeration of shows. Right. And I just did what I was supposed to do. And he said, uh, do you want to stick around? And I said, well, of course, I've got a family to feed. And um, he said, well, we're thinking of opening up the morning show at w, WJFM. At mm. that time, it was 97.1, which, of course, today is the fan. Right. Anyway, I stayed and I did the morning news. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we played elevator music, and uh, that was pretty much how that started. But then I switched over to the AM side, and I was doing news for them, and I stuck with them for twelve years, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean was. WWJ is yeah. it was right up there as well, and um, that was twelve years, twelve yeah. years of of giving the news, but also twelve years in that span of time you were also doing interviews yeah that our format had all news all the time and it was the joe donovan byron mcgregor days where they did morning drive and afternoon drive but then in the in between them i and sue carter had a show that was more um relaxed Mm -hmm. it still did we still did the news we still had all the traffic reports and barometers or, or weather reports and along came um interviews so it was up to sue carter and myself to find these guests and have them on the air and they either were newsmakers or they were entertainers and what we wound up doing is finding you know the people that would come through town back then there was a place in windsor called the top hat oh yeah and that was run where they would take a lot of these guys and gals who were big stars at one time, or they were at the Fisher because they were in a play, right. a musical. And then we would look up, you know, and of course they looked us up too because they wanted publicity for their show. Of course, sure. So we wound up talking to a lot of famous people that walked through our town back in the uh, uh, 78 through, I don't know, 87. Can you give us some notion of who those people were? Actually, I can, because you made up a beautiful list. <laughs> <laughs> so you would remember, and I would remember. Yeah, yeah of course it's we simple. remember yeah. everything they went. But uh, yeah, probably at the top of the list would have been Dick Clark. The five-time Emmy Award winner, Dick Clark. How do I follow an introduction? <laughs> he got the plugs in. He mentioned the show, the appearance, That's all we're going to do. Just don't pack up and leave. He, <laughs> he knows how to do this stuff. Usually you come in and they say, how did you get your first job? And then you have to slowly work in while you're here. 
Thank you, John. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you here. We all grew up with Dick Clark. What an icon. Oh, I'm telling you, he was so kind, and he was just a gentleman, right. uh, as can be. And, you know, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm talking to Dick Clark in person. It's funny that you mention that, because when we listen to Ryan Seacrest these days, mm-hmm. I still think about Dick Clark can't help at it. the New Year's Eve uh, dropping of the ball and Absolutely. all that stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah, and Dick, you know, he just did his yeoman's job of trying to be the best he could be, even when he was in a physically unable to do it. He was still trying to do it. Oh, right, yeah. And um, and then Ryan was there to help him out. But right. anyway, I talked to him back when he was perfectly fine, and he was at the maybe the height of his career. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say because he had been at the height for a long, long time, Yeah. Um, starting out in Philadelphia, as he did. Who were some of the other ones? Well, besides Dick Clark, there was Mel Torme. Who and that's that's one of the most interesting, I have to say, for me, yeah. because he's a music guy, right? Yeah, he is. That had to be a thrill. It was. It, it, well, you know, just knowing <clears> that we were going to talk to him that day, so we dug out some of the music of Mel's and just played a piece or here and there and then talked to him about his career and, and how he got started. We on the live line from California, where it's very early in the morning. Mel Torme, good morning. Good morning, John. How are you? Oh, just great. Really looking forward to your uh, arrival with two shows. What is it, Saturday night? Well, so am I. Yeah, it is Saturday night, and I must say that... Uh, Oh, too seldom do I get into the area, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it as much as anybody. That's terrific. I know that. That kind of was the format where people get an opportunity to find out things that maybe they don't know about the person. Right. And we were hoping that they'd be willing to share that information as we did a live interview. And uh, they, weren't, uh, they weren't doctored at all. Right. So, um, yeah, Rich Little, Don Knotts. Soupy Sales was an absolute scream, as you might imagine. Of course. There's my doggy White Fang. Hi, doggy. Oh, uh, yeah. Unpredictable as can be. And um, uh, Don Adams, who people might remember, uh, gets smart. I'm Maxwell Smart, agent 86. How do you like that? Missed it by that much. Yeah, he had the phone in a shoe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Carol Channing, she was there in person. Yeah. Uh, and so was uh, people like um, Jane Seymour, uh-huh. who was there in person, and Henny Youngman. He wasn't, but he still had his one-liners. Take my wife, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the one that comes to my mind right. anyway. <laughs> and uh, Frank Gorshin, who yeah. did, um, you know, he of course oh, the was the old Batman series. Batman series, right. And, of course, I didn't look at him from a Batman point of view. I, I went farther back. He was an impersonator. He did some great impersonations, yeah. like Rich Little did. One of the reporters said, who would you like to be up against in the next election? And I jumped in and said, oh, Dolly Parton, I'd like to be up against her any day. And I always wanted to, I had aspirations of wanting to be like somebody who could do voice interpretations, All like, right. you know, sound like Richard Nixon. Yeah. And I'm not a... I'm not a crook. Yeah, <laughs> I that's... Know, I don't, I don't, anyway, no. this was over a period of like How six or seven... How often would you be doing interviews? Well, that was kind of demanding because we didn't have a producer, so we had to find our own guest and to answer How, your question. Oh, so you would call up oh, yeah. the Top Hat uh, Supper Club? Right, call the Top Hat no and say, kidding. who do you have coming in? And they say, oh, well, you know what? Mel Torme is going to be here in April. Hey, well, let's book him now. Okay. That was the beauty of radio. Right. But in the meantime, it was simple. 
And that's the thing I, I, I loved about radio the most, is the simplicity of it. Right. That was a 12-year stint at WWJ. Right, right. That was fun. And after that, you moved on and started doing work for Ford Motor. Well, it wasn't quite that fast, but yeah. Uh, they I heard that they were hiring, uh, I mean, because you have to have your ear to the ground once you're out of work. And the reason why I wound up leaving Jay, just out of curiosity if people want to know, Bob Talbert did a nice job on it and when he put it in an article, but I didn't leave on my own account. Uh, and I was told one Friday afternoon on September 20th, to be exact, uh, that they're going in a different direction. And they hired Scott, who had a two-point lead on us as the ratings go. Mm. And so they figured, well, let's hire the competition and then we'll have the, the ratings. <laughs> right. And so, so they got happens? rid of me, and they put uh, Sue, I think, was already gone by then. She had left on her own accord. And uh, I think Pat Sweeting was my partner. And Pat would be strictly news, so she went right back into the newsroom. So she didn't lose her thing. And, and, and they asked me if I wanted to stay on and work weekends. And I felt like, wait a minute. You know, I've spent all this time in broadcasting trying to get out of weekends and overnights and all the the lousy hours that you'd have to be. You know, my goal was to get into prime time. Right. But uh, the closest I made it was that midday, 10 to 3 o'clock hour, and that's what we did. So out I went, and as I looked, and I round forward was hiring people to do voice news things. and Internal, that, in, internal news. Yeah, internal news for the FCN network, which is Ford Communications Network. Anyway, um, so I took that, and I did some of that. That wasn't full-time, but then there was a lot of commercials I did for New York Carpet World and Art Van and things like that. But, um, but in no. consideration of all of this, with your radio experience, you've done radio for nearly 20 years? Easily, yeah, 20 years. And for that, it's that longevity is almost unheard of isn't it with mm. the radio personalities as they go yeah the, the way it is these days it is yeah back then it was hard to maintain longevity in broadcasting only because formats were always changing and sometimes you didn't fit into the format which is like the one phone call I got from Saturday morning from WCAR when I was working there one day a week and I was teaching school the other mm -hmm. five and uh <laughs> Neil McIntyre was his name. He was the program oh, I director. I remember the name, sure. And, and Neil says to me, you don't have to come in tonight. You know, this was 11 o'clock Saturday morning because mm -hmm. I was working 7 to midnight on Saturdays. I says, really? I said, why? He says, well, we've we, we got someone to take your place for... I said, oh, so I got this Saturday off? This is how naive I was, you know. Mm -hmm. But who gets fired over the phone? I do. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, he says, we're letting you go, John. I said, what do you mean you're letting me go? He says, you're fired, John. You understand what that means? <laughs> I said, yeah, wow. I get it. I get How it. brutal. And so brutal. I said, well, why? What did I do wrong? Nothing. He says, you're not a rock and roll, John. And that day, they had gone rock and roll. Oh, my God. And they did it overnight. Literally, at midnight, they started playing, you know, Black Sabbath. And I just, like, I thought, oh, gosh, what happened to Nancy Wilson? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. so um, yeah, it, was, it was what it was. But and, it's unfortunately characteristic of the industry, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we often say that if you haven't been fired in radio, you haven't been in radio. <laughs> <laughs> but after all that, 
you know, when you look back, I, I guess you'd have to say, you know, I did pretty good. You know, I mean, what the hell? You know what? It's right. What the hell? It opened up a lot of doors for me. I didn't realize it until I was out of it. Right. I didn't realize how many people listened until I was out of it. Right. Because you're so focused on what you do Monday through Friday, you don't even give some thought. I'd come home in the evening and Patty would say to me, well, who'd you talk to today? Do you know I couldn't tell her? Mm-hmm. Were, I, I, said, I, I don't know. Who do we have on at 10.15? And then I'd have to look it up. Because oh, there are yeah. so many, you know, we arranged our own guests, and right. we would do anywhere from eight to ten interviews a day. Wow. Uh, there's no time to kind of like soak it in, you know, and just, they're just seconds. Because after I got done talking to Dick Clark, it was like a minute or two's worth of commercials, and then it was back to the news. Right. You know, and no time to wallow in, hey, that was fun, and did you ever think he'd say that? What would you say to somebody who wants to go into radio don't if you can if you can if you can you know i know you might love the idea of being in radio or being down on the sidelines if it's sports but i'll tell you it's a it's a very you have the thick skin mm-hmm. be prepared to find work elsewhere mm-hmm. and um don't put your, all your eggs in one basket you know that yeah. is such an old saying but it's so true even to today right Back to Ford Motor Company, you've been how many years there, and you're still there now? I'm still there, and a lot of people are surprised at that, too, as much as I am. But as not necessarily a full-time employee, mm-hmm. I'm what they call a contractor, mm-hmm. and I have been since I started back in 1988, so you can figure that out yourself. It's like 31, 32 oh years. Oh, my gosh. I know. I can't so, believe So, that. really, this has been going on for 50 years. Yeah, at least, yes. Yes, I'm 110. Wow. <laughs> you are old. Yes, well, <laughs> and so I, am I. But I'm, they still have us propped up so that we can talk. <laughs> I know you came in here on a gurney. I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been quite a ride for you and I with all of this, and I I suppose what you end up with is uh, the word perseverance because your perseverance is what's led you through the fray. For the last 50 years and I think that's pretty impressive well thank you and uh, you know I can say that good Lord has always been watching out for me mm-hmm. and has led me in the right direction me to help me make my decisions that you know could have taken me a different different path had I had not left Jay when they gave me the opportunity of saying well you could stay but you're gonna have to do this and this and this right I felt like my career was going backwards so I just said no no I'm going to take the leap right and that's that leap of faith John Del Monte, I'm so glad that we could do this after uh, the last 50, 55 years, but uh, here we are. And here's the ironic part. When I wanted to learn how to become an interviewer, you were the first person I interviewed. Really? We practiced. I don't remember. On my back porch. <laughs> and laughed did like we? hell. Oh, I yeah. can't remember that. Yeah, no, I did. I, I said, well, you know, you've been playing the sax and the clarinet, and, you know, you do all these jobs, and... I know that Boys and Girls are your, is your first record here, and I've got it in, and I still have that record, by the way, oh in my, my drawer. Gosh, yeah. Oh my gosh. But uh, that's true, though. Oh, that's, yeah. that's interesting. That's yeah, and here you are talking to me 50 plus and I'm years later. You. So I guess this is the end of it. This is going to come full <laughs> circle. <laughs> Thanks, John. This has been a great delight for me. Dan, thank you. Yeah. It's been a privilege, and uh, I'm honored that you asked me to do this. Thank you very much. This has been Yakin' with Yessian. Thanks for tuning in. As always, visit danyessian.com 
for all the latest content. See you soon.